Hi, I'm Gail. And hi, I'm Catherine. Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, our award-winning weekly podcast. Please visit womenover70.com and consider joining Aging Reimagined Circle, our sustaining membership fund, so we may continue to inspire women to age with curiosity, courage, and creativity. Members enjoy monthly programming and probing discussions, and we hope to see you there. And today we're pleased to bring you Darcy Ivan. Darcy Ivan is CEO of The Village Chicago, which was founded in 2009. The Village Chicago is a social network of friendship, engagement, and services for people over 50. Darcy brings a wealth of experience to The Village, including leadership roles at public and private universities, libraries, medical, technology, nonprofit organizations, and media companies. She's active in Chicago's corporate and civic communities and media, and is on the boards of the Guild of the Chicago History Museum, the Kalo Foundation, and the Chicago Innovation Advisory Board. Darcy's a member of a variety of cultural and business organizations. An avid history buff, she is author of Hand Route, an illustrated history of jewelry and metalwork from the Chicago Arts and Crafts Movement, a very interesting book. Since becoming CEO of The Village Chicago in January 2019, Darcy has overseen the growth and vitality of The Village, including comprehensive programs that focus on social, emotional, and physical aspects of well-being. Darcy, welcome. Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. And Thank you so much. We're happy to have you. And thank you, Gail and Catherine. Yes. So would you would you start by telling us more about the Village Chicago? And you, I know you have an age bias and age discrimination that has informed your work there. And so tell us more about that. Well, the Village Chicago is actually started. It was started as part of a national movement of where communities got together to provide um, services so that people could stay in their communities and be active and be socially engaged. Mm -hmm. And they've grown throughout the country from coast to coast, and they're all a little bit different. So because they're all individual, it's not part of a, a national um, organization per se. And the Village Chicago is, is unique because we really focus on people thriving in their communities regardless of what their living situation is. And we we focus on on establishing friendships, especially helpful after people have retired and they've lost their work relationships. We focus on helping people establish friendships when they're new to Chicago because uh, many, many older adults move to Chicago to be closer to their kids and find out that their kids don't really want them around that much. And they don't really know anyone else in the city and we also serve a lot of individuals whose spouse has passed away. And once that happens, it has a dramatic impact on a person's um, ability to socialize and, and go out. And they really do need help, you know, building new social networks. All of that, you know, was magnified during the pandemic of where when people were alone, they really got used to, to staying by themselves or watching Netflix or ordering food in. And that what we saw is that that can be really bad for your health and well-being. Um, it can shorten your life pretty dramatically. 
So at the village, what we do is we keep people engaged continuously, either through Zoom events or phone calls or friendly visits. And we organize hundreds of social activities a year. Last year, we did 540, mm-hmm. for example, on Zoom wow. and in person. We also have a very vibrant uh, network of uh, community volunteers who want to help. So we have a rides program. We have individuals who will go to the store and pick up prescriptions or or go with people to the grocery store, or go with people to the doctor, you know, just to write things down so that people can really understand later, you know, a few hours later, what, what it was that the doctor actually said. Then we have a very strong referral network, which is a, another um, unique factor about the Bill of Chicago because we have partnerships with hundreds of community organizations and we can refer um, people to use their goods and services, um, give them a selection, say, you know, there are three different medical departments you might want to look at. Mm-hmm. But all of our partners work with us in tandem so that we're part of this really vibrant community. And can you give us an idea of, you know, some of the programs you have 540 programs, I think you said. What what are some of them so we can have a sense of what what people can choose from? Well, some of some of the social activities, you know, we kind of we we balance it between emotional, physical, and mental health. So a lot of them are are walks through uh, throughout the city, walks around the pond, exercising. We have various exercise programs that you can do on Zoom or in person, meditation programs. We have a lot of educational programs about, you know, things as diverse as, you know, should you try cannabis? You know, should you, you know, should you um, try, you know, X, Y, or Z or a different diet? What is the mind diet? How does it work? How do we implement it? Uh, we have a lot of cultural events of where we organize people going to to Saturday at the movies, uh, theater groups, knitting. Uh, pastime groups. We have a really wonderful active group of pastime groups, probably about 25 of them. Some people want to play bridge. Some people want to play canasta. Um, Some people just want to explore the city and to find out about its uh, rich um, historical, you know, um, aspects and heritage. Uh, We organize events at the Chicago History Museum and the other museums, you know, which is really quite exciting. And then we we also have some dedicated brain health and memory loss programs that we can do on Zoom, almost like a memory cafe, where people come together and they with their care partners and they just engage in all sorts of activities, whether it be art or problem solving or storytelling. Uh, we have photography uh, pastime groups, so it really stretches out across the board. Some of the some of the really fun ones are the monthly happy hours uh, that we do, and we select a different restaurant each time, and we you know personally invite people to come to these. Of course, we put it into our newsletters, but people generally don't come unless they get the personal invite. And then we balance it so that we have new members with older members and prospective members, and you know just community friends. And it's wonderful to see these connections when they get formed. You know, people that they never would have met otherwise. Wow, <laughs> that's that's a lot to choose from. I've I've uh, certainly taken advantage of some of the things that you've offered, and and they're all well done. It's it's really terrific. 
And and so uh, one of those is your gala that I've been to in uh, September. And I know you have these Trailblazer Awards. Tell me, tell me a little bit more. Tell us a little bit more about the Trailblazer Awards. Well, and I'll back up a little bit. I want to say something about the whole issue of inclusiveness. It's very near and dear to my heart. You know, I was uh, the business technology columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, and I wrote a lot about economic development, but I also did a lot of research when I was working on my book. And one person in particular really inspired me, Mrs. Um, Potter Palmer, or Bertha Honoré Palmer. And she, in the 19th century, she was Chicago's unchallenged leader in, you know, the civic community and the arts community in anything that happened, you know, Bertha Palmer was involved with it. Well, it turned out that she was instrumental in securing the World's Fair of 1893, along with all the men who met on it. But then she also became the chair of the women's board at the 1893 uh, World's Fair. And at the opening ceremony, she gave a very impassioned speech about how we could build a more democratic and fair society by doubling the intelligence, creativity, and mental and moral forces of the country by including women in the workforce. Mm. Then for me, what that means is we could say the same thing about uh, doubling, doubling the workforce by including more older adults and not forcing them into retirement if that isn't what they want. You know, there are many organizations that force people to retire at 60 or 62 when they want to continue working, or they don't force them into retirement because they never hire a person, you know, who's over 55 or, or over 60. So that that is really um, a strong incentive for us to look at the very root causes of ageism and age bias and how it impacts our society. We, we really believe that if we include people of all ages in the workplace and in the community, we'll have a much more productive society. We'll be able to solve some of the world's problems. We'll be able to tackle the big issues like climate change. It can't just be this narrow segment of mostly male, you know, 30 to 45-year-olds, because I don't think we're going to get there that way. It has mm -hmm. to be a collaborative effort. And that's, that's what we looked at when we established the Trailblazer Awards in 2019, we wanted to identify and reward people um, for their extraordinary contributions in building a more age-inclusive society by improving the life, um, the quality of life for older adults, and really changing the narrative on age so that it's more about inclusivity and uniting generations. And... Um, with that in mind, we select three trailblazer categories every year, an individual, an organization, and an um, author. And the author is generally a national um, author. Uh, the, one, the one this year, for example, is Tracy Gendron, um, uh, who's just written a wonderful book about dismantling ageism that everybody should look at. Mm -hmm. You can see it on, on Amazon. But also, um, John and Sandy Miller uh, have won for the Individual Trailblazer Award. We couldn't separate them because they both worked <laughs> together so closely on Sounds Good Choir and a Memory Choir. And what they discovered is that when you include people and, and expose them to the magic of music and singing, that it improves their health, their brains, it's fun. It builds a lot of camaraderie, and we do a lot of singing programs as well, you know, at the village. 
and then DePaul University, because with their cadre of thousands of students, they have made it their mission to go out into the community and build a greater acceptance among people, to build greater collaboration, and to really try to address the whole issue of, of ageism. So that's what we do with the Trailblazer Awards, and they're increasing in popularity every year. So we, we generally get between 50 and 100 nominations um, you know, because people say, hey, you know, look at what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And we, it just has to it just has to fit the basic guidelines. But it's um, pretty exciting for the village to do that, to recognize others for their outstanding efforts. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And and uh, you and I got to know each other through the Ch- Chicago innovation and um, for quite a few years now. And and uh, so you you created this fabulous program, which is called Ageless Innovators. And so I am really high on that. And so tell me about it. Well, first of all, Chicago Innovation is a wonderful organization. I had been on the board uh, of Chicago Innovation before I even joined the village. And that's how I really got to know the village quite well. But um uh, Chicago Innovation and the Village got together and we said, okay, we're talking about how to build a more inclusive society. We have to get people talking to one another and discovering the strengths and the beauty of of their knowledge bases. So we established at that time, the first in Illinois, um, cross-generation co-mentoring program. So we selected the younger um, technology or nonprofit leader and paired them with an older adult who may be retired, but was a, you know, a stellar representative in their particular, you know, uh, career industry and uh, bring them together for a six month co-mentoring program. And they work together on establishing best practices for how you can build uh, a vibrant intergenerational inter, uh, work group, you know, representing all the different generations. And it's important because companies, uh, could do a lot better than they're doing right now. We think if they if they were a little bit more flexible in their employment rules, so you didn't have to work full time 100% of the time, and they could start building out these intergenerational work groups to solve problems. And that's, you know, the trailblazers, um, I mean, not the trailblazers, the ageless innovators have been very helpful in coming up with ways to do that. And there's a lot of biases in the, in the workplace. Um, typically the younger people are treated very poorly as if they don't know anything. They're green behind the ears when they're in meetings and they're using an iPad. People think that they're playing when in fact, that's how they're taking notes, right? Mm-hmm. You know, instead of on a pad and paper and older adults are saying, oh, you know, they're too old to really understand what's going on or they don't know technology. And all of these are just, uh, misrepresentations of what's really going on because they're just stereotypes and everybody is different. And what Ageless Innovators has taught us is that everyone has something to teach and something to learn. And once you open the door and you can identify people's strengths and focus on those strengths, that's how you get to greater productivity and a a much better end product. As far as I'm concerned, it doesn't matter, you know, if it's in the home, in the community or in the workforce. Right. Yes, yes, and 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 uh, so so you are active in all of these different organizations, 
and are all of them related to the topics that you're talking about now, the uh, inclusivity, age bias, um, age discrimination, you know, you're, you're on all of these boards. How are- no, the boards really reflect my personal interests. So the Kalo Foundation is an arts and crafts organization based in Park Ridge. And they've done a remarkable job about saving um, Ianelli's uh, original studio and the Kalo house that was so vibrant during the early uh, 20th century. Um, I was on the Board of Ingenuity, which which provides art education in the schools. Mm-hmm. Fabulous organization. I was on that for a little over three years. Um, with Chicago Innovation, it's really... Um, you know, what can we build together? How can we build a stronger uh, community? With Ageless Innovators, we had we had launched a program of funding from the Retirement Research Foundation, which was uh, fabulous. They're a very forward-thinking in terms of, of where they want to see uh, the community go in the future. And we worked on that, and we decided that we needed an actual campaign to inform and talk to people about turning the page on age. So we now call it Uniting Generations, Turn the Page on Age. And with Chicago Innovation's wonderful media sponsorships, we're on the back of buses, we have electronic billboards, we're on the radio, we write letters to the editor, we wrote one in the Chicago Tribune that had hundreds and hundreds of responses from people all across the country when they syndicated it. Mm-hmm. They're just talking about ancient language. This Turn the Page on Age campaign is now in its second year. Last year was the first year, and we selected um, wonderful candidates mm-hmm. to to win the first award for all that they were doing to change the narrative on age and to build, you know, this this greater concept of a of a better society, including Women Over Seventy podcast. And so we were thrilled to do that. Um, Dozens and dozens of people. It. Yes, we Thank were. <laughs> and dozens and dozens of people had nominated the organization. So it's like, wow, this is really terrific. You know, we you really believe we're all in this together and that we really have to work together and help one another if we want to move forward. But the Turn the Page on Age campaign is slow. When we launched it, people initially said, that's not a problem, you know, you just get used to it. Or it's okay if people make jokes about older adults, but it's not, and it's damaging. You know, if we go back to Bertha Palmer, you know, we want to be inclusive. We want to hear everyone's voice. And that's why it was so important. But at the beginning of the campaign, uh, when we did a taping, I think we had 45 uh, people show up, and we had hundreds show up at the end of the year because we have been able to build momentum throughout the year. And we've been able to extend that awareness this year through different programming and events. And it's a long haul, but we're making a lot of progress. We would really like to see every company in America uh, understand that age age has to be a vital part of DEI. That if they're really going to have, um, if they're going to support diversity, equity, and inclusion at their companies, they have to include age. And that was an eye-opener for many companies that I, I can say that we have had an impact in terms of, of um, people finally looking at that and saying, yeah, maybe maybe there's a different way that we can we can do this. 
So how does how does Village Chicago interact? I mean, how how do you see Village Chicago being a representative of what it is that you're talking about with Chicago innovation, turn the page on age, ageless innovators? We we are simply, you know, we do a lot of things at the Village Chicago. I mean, we have some of the best, you know, brain health and memory loss programs. We deal with Parkinson's, you know, and and chronic diseases, um, you know, dealing with internal and external ageism is a part of health and well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, when in our previous Trailblazer Book Awards, uh, several authors pointed out how having a bad attitude about aging, feeling bad about yourself, uh, can dramatically impact your health. So what our goal is, is to make people understand that they have to accept aging, you know, as a normal part of life, not to have preconceived notions about it, and to really embrace who they are in the moment and to celebrate everything that they have and not what they don't have. So um, we know that if you have a poor attitude about um, getting older, that you perform 30% worse on memory tests. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Wow. Perform 30% worse on hearing tests. That was a shocker to me. And you live seven and a half years um, shorter, but you also uh, just don't have a very high quality of life mm-hmm. because when you're unhappy and you don't feel good about yourself and you don't believe in yourself, it's very it's very difficult to, to live to your full potential. Mm-hmm. Have to let that. So that's how. Begin. That's how I think we have a voice, and we simply articulate that voice. You know, for the community to channel what people are feeling, to make other people understand the best we can, and to build more partnerships. I mean, we're building partnerships all the time, mm-hmm. and when we build partnerships with new organizations, it's like, oh yeah, you know, we never really looked at it that way before, mm-hmm. and we keep growing that way, right. Uh, be- before we leave this topic, Catherine, did you have some? I was just going to ask for another example of partnerships besides the Chicago um, innovation. We have um, a wonderful partnership with, with Rush University. So if um, members need a, a second opinion and they call up and they find out that it's going to be a year and a half, you know, before they can get in or six months or four months. Mm. So we do have a special program where we can get them in right away, Um, which is, it's wonderful, you know, when you're trying to make a decision about a very difficult, you know, health condition or or process. Um, we, We have this referral network of where we don't refer medical uh, practitioners or household help. And we also make lots of recommendations for household help, whether it be, you know, electrician or plumbing or, you know, snow removal, et cetera. Unless it's been recommended by, you know, two to three members who have used the service and said, yeah, it works and this is what it costs and this is really wonderful. And then we share that information with the community. And it's not, it's not a top-down model at the village. It's a community of people and everybody is sharing information and we filter it and we make sure that it's qualified information. And then we we present it to everyone in the community. But everybody plays a part in the village. They don't just join 
and say, okay, what are you going to do for me? You know, they join and say, what can I do for the community to strengthen the community? And I need some help too. Yeah, very interesting. And I, I just have to ask you, you're the author of this book, Hand Rot. Hand, pronounce it for me. Hand, Hand Rot. Rot. Yeah. yeah. Okay. How, how did you get so interested in the Chicago Arts and Crafts Movement? It's really interesting because, first of all, I just love history. So I love to find out about, you know, anything historical. My first career in my life was an anthropologist. So I've always been keen on research. Uh, I, I taught forensic anthropology for a while, you know, discovering things. I love to discover things. I mean, I think a lot of people do. But I had gone to an estate sale in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I live, and bought a bunch of silver and jewelry that was all made in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And um, I tried to find out more information about the people who made it because, you know, the things were signed, you know, with the with uh, monikers or, you know, their initials or their names or their brand names. And there was only one book out at the time, the 1977 book um, that Sharon Darling wrote, wonderful book, you know, Chicago Meadowsmiths. But there wasn't any information in there about the stuff that I had bought. So then when I moved to Chicago, I started going to the History Museum and all the other museums and antique um, shops and historical societies to get information about who these people were, what they did, what inspired them uh, to create this beautiful jewelry. And what's really interesting about the Chicago Arts and Crafts Movement that was very different from anywhere else in the world is that Mrs. Potter Palmer really um, uh, promoted it, thought of it, drove it by hiring Louis Millay to teach this decorative design course at the Art Institute of Chicago beginning in 1891, which was taught through 1923, with the goal of primarily training anybody, of course, but primarily training women to be designers or to be skilled artisans so that they could go out and get jobs designing products for companies, open their own studios, or make jewelry. And it was remarkably successful. I mean, there were thousands of women who all of a sudden had an affordable living job. And some of the women who were really good, like Leonide Laveron, you know, she was making $10,000 a year in, in 1906, which today would be mm-hmm. over, over $150,000, $180,000 a year. That was unheard of. You know, previously, it was most mostly women, you know, working as sales clerks of where you couldn't make enough money to even pay your rent or teacher. And you only could be a teacher if you weren't married. <laughs> I mean, all kinds of things. But that that really inspires me, you know, to see how this this movement worked in the early 20th century. And when we did the Internet era here in Chicago, we had two billion dollars that was invested in all these internet companies and then all those companies went to money heaven mm-hmm. you know after the after the crash you know what was different and it was really the strength of the community in the arts and crafts movement it was because wealthy people bought the wares they promoted them you know there were magazines there were newspapers there were art shows there were awards there were all the things all of the components necessary to drive a huge art commercialization movement 
that was stronger in Chicago than it was anywhere else in the world. And it was the strength of that community building that was really fascinating to me and then also attracted me to the village. You know, when I when I finally joined the village in, in 2019, and it was like, wow, this is a lot like how they created this this really vibrant community back in the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. And it drove economic development to record high levels until World War One. It, the village Chicago was a concept that someone had, and and look at what ha- what what's happened with it all o- all over the country. Exactly, and it, and like I said, each one is a little different. Mm-hmm. So you know you can you can be creative. You can address the needs of a particular community. So some communities are different. There's one outside of Denver, and the primary need there was rye. You know, almost like a PACE program, I guess, like what we have here. So, you know, they get a lot in terms of government funding to provide rides. Mm -hmm. But they find it difficult when you have that kind of a service model. It's difficult because you need all the other aspects as well, you know, to drive to drive a really, you know, warm, friendly, engaged community. That's why we do all the events. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well. Any other questions, Catherine, for Darcy? Well, I, I just it's just really fascinating, and I I am delighted to know about your book. And uh, have, it's another one I need to add to my my reading list. Yes. <laughs> well, I did it mostly as an identification guide uh, to help people, so that when they found jewelry with mm-hmm. these signatures on them, they would be able to find out about the entire history of the person and how they interacted or what what part they were of the arts and crafts movement Mm -hmm. and then the publisher got so excited about it they turned it into a large five and a half pound book and i was imagining a smaller more manageable book but it's it's wonderful it's just that you won't be able to carry it outside of the park okay (laughs) (laughs) well thank you so much for sharing these stories with us and for being with us today we really appreciate it I'm thrilled to be with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for being a role model for the community. You're doing so much good work. I'm really thrilled. Thank you. And listeners, thank you for your loyalty. And because of you, our numbers are growing all across the country and overseas. And this was a good thing. But still, we need more subscribers and reviews on Apple Play and YouTube. So support women over 70 and let your voice be heard. Help us change the conversation about women aging.